Welcome back to Canna Week, brought to you by New Frontier Data, where we deliver the week's top headlines in cannabis and hear experts weigh in on the impact these stories are having on the industry. I'm your host, Heather Wickline. Okay, today we are going to be discussing cannabis cultivation and exploring indoor grow solutions. And we have the pleasure of having two guests join us from TSR Grow. Our first guest is a veteran in the cannabis industry with 11 years of experience in LED lighting solutions and over 29 issued patents. He has a proven track record of product innovation and commercialization. Please welcome founder and president of TSR Grow, Mikhail Segal. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having us. Uh, we're, we're excited to be here and talking to you. Uh, it's really a, it's a pleasure. Absolutely. And our next guest is a pioneer in master recipe distributed management solutions for the horticulture industry, owned and operated engineering and software companies for integrated process and manufacturing management. It's a mouthful. He certainly cur- currently serves as VP of sales and marketing. Please welcome Gary Arnold. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. I'm looking forward to uh, sharing some ideas with you. And uh, this is a wonderful industry for sure. We're really enjoying it. Thank you very much. Well, we are excited to be working with you. And last but not least least is our in-house guest. He is New Frontier Data's Chief Knowledge Officer and leads our amazing research team. Please welcome Mr. John Kagia. Delighted to be back, Heather. Thank you for having us. Awesome. Well, uh, Mikhail, before we get started, would you mind giving our listeners a quick rundown of TSR Grow for those who may not be familiar with your company? Sure. Well, TSR Grow, uh, when Gary and I co-founded the company, um, our goal was to really develop a, a solution, a solutions approach to, to cannabis uh, cultivation and uh, horticulture lighting um, that really was looking forward in the, in the long-term and sustainable approach for commercial CEA agriculture that really um, differentiated and, and changed things up on how things were done. So that's, you know, that's been our approach is to really develop advanced solutions for, for horticulture uh, cultivation. Amazing. Well, we have a lot to cover, so let's dive right in. Greenhousegrower.com reported lessons all growers can learn from the cannabis gold rush. So the dramatic expansion of the legal cannabis industry in recent years has led to significant advances in the way cannabis can be grown. As a cash crop with high cost for downtime and a high return on investment for efficiency, the industry has a great deal to learn from commercial agriculture. So, Mikhail, TSR Grow primarily focuses on indoor and greenhouse cultivation. What are some of the pros and cons of each? Well, uh, greenhouse growing is, uh, I, I think, is 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 a pro if it's if it's possible. It's really is a, a significant benefits because uh, you have a lot of initial uh, the initial costs for um, are uh, are lower. Uh, you the energy consumption and really the the carbon footprint is much lower. You're using the sun in terms of uh, you, you know uh, growing a significant amount of your crop, um, depending on where you are. Um, the um, you still have the need for supplemental lighting, and especially with a crop that utilizes so much energy, that, such as cannabis, you still have to supplement often. But just the benefits of being able to utilize the sun and um, take advantage of, uh, of of nature along with what you're doing, I think, is a huge benefits and a and a big pro. Gary, what would you say are some of the cons? Well, obviously, with uh, with with the um... I guess the greenhouse you're going to find weather is the is the key thing. So it's um, uh, depending on what part of the country you're in, uh, that's going to be 
uh, you know, whether or not it's going to be a good investment for you. I think typically what we find is that uh, the challenges are uh, a little less uh, yield because you can't control the environment as uh, closely as an indoor grow. Uh, and I think the uh, the yield, yield part of it is really the, the biggest thing that comes out of that as a con. You just can't get the, the same quality or yield uh, across the country. Got it. John, I know we've done some uh, reporting on cultivation and sustainability and all that. Anything to add to the, what they mentioned? No, actually, just building on, on both their points, which I think are, are dead on, is one of the things that, that any operator looking at this market right now must understand is how much variability there is uh, geographically in the country. Now that so much of the country is in play, uh, it was one thing when, when you know, uh, the industry was principally focused on the Western state markets where um, you know, there's a lot of outdoor cultivation happening, a lot of greenhouse cultivation happening, and to a lesser extent, uh, indoor as it started moving westward to places like Colorado. Uh, but now that you have, you know, markets as far afield as Florida to Connecticut uh, in play, there's a lot of uh, kind of climate variability that you've got to take into account as you're thinking about what type of facility that that um, uh, you want to build. And you know, the the foundational trade-offs might might look one way if you're looking at them in abstract. Um, but you, you start dealing with real issues in terms of uh, climate environment management or cultivation environment management when you're dealing with whether it's extreme temperatures or very, very heavy snowfall, um, the amount of rainfall or cloud cover you know, that, that you have during uh, the course of the year. These are all real considerations that you have to understand about the particular site that you're in. So, you know, the, the, there are broad principles about uh, the, the general efficiencies that you gain from greenhouses being the best of both worlds, as, as Mikhail said, um, but you really need to apply that to the local context and where the facility is going to be located. I, if I, if I can, John and uh, Heather, I, you know, just jump in. I agree with that wholeheartedly because we've we've seen a lot of greenhouses, and and especially early on, a lot of greenhouses from the west were installed in the northeast, where we have extremely high humidity conditions. And if you if you if you don't consider and take into account <clears throat> and really put in place uh, environmental um, environmental, uh, uh, you know, capability in terms of dehumidification and uh, really managing the heat, um, then you truly can't take advantage of, of the greenhouses in the, in the summer months. I mean, we've seen in some instances growers putting out the blackout curtains in the Northeast in August and September during the high humidity just so they could grow at night um, to, uh, to be able to minimize the heat and the, you know, the, the, um, intake of, uh, of temperature during the day. So it's, it's definitely something, um, to consider. And that's another reason why in cannabis, uh, being able to do that, uh, it's very important to, uh, make sure that you put in place enough lighting that isn't just meeting, uh, you know, that isn't just meeting your, uh, minimal, uh, su uh supplemental effects, but you really want to have enough lighting so that you could grow with the lights out if you needed and truly maintain annual and year-round production. Even though you may not use it all the year round, you're really able to meet your year-round yield goals if you needed to grow at night or if you needed to extend the day and really focused on being able to fully supplement and truly grow indoor, but you just use the greenhouse when you can. Well, that actually leads me to my last. How, how important is the sustainability and energy efficiency in cannabis cultivation? I think it's, Huge, um, you know, uh, so cannabis 
they say in Massachusetts, for example, one of the um, they're looking at cannabis being, you know, upwards of 10, 15, maybe even, you know, approaching 20 percent of the energy that's going to be utilized from, you know, from the producers of energy. So when you have cannabis and a crop that's consuming that much energy, um, you need to start looking at sustainable practices in terms of how you're, you know, how you're growing. Um, it's just a huge energy consumer. So if you can do things that are, um, you know, that are, you know, whether you're incorporating uh, CHP, whether you're incorporating, um, you know, battery storage or solar or, or other mechanisms or sun or greenhouses, but really being able to become sustain, you know, look at cons sustainable considerations and what you're doing is going to be huge just because of the power consumption. Um, and so, you know, when we look again, looking at sustainable approaches and what we do, um, it's everything in what we do. And, and, you know, it's just part of, it's part of our solution and our system in that we can, you know, being able to integrate all of, all of these systems that go into a cannabis facility, they all have to be, it can't have a silo approach either. You have to have complete integration of all of those systems and, and being able to do that uh, sustainably is key. But, you know, that's one of the things we looked at is being able to be, to tie into solar, um, you know, and, and have the whole power system. You have to be able to monitor it, tie into demand response, tie into cogen and, uh, you know, battery and being able to do that and monitor and integrate those are all key facets and incredibly important for long-term sustainability of a cultivation facility. Amazing. John, um, Gary, anything to add? You know, actually, I'll just mention that uh, one of the biggest challenges is to control the environment uh, completely. So, you know, too many times people are putting in uh, units by silo mentality, putting so many lights, so much you know, HVAC dehumidification, that needs to be tightly tied together. And that's one of the things that McCall um, and I spent a lot of time in with our company is that how do we integrate all of the variables within the grow chamber itself so that we can properly optimize it. And optimize it means that we want to not necessarily drive things highest, but we want to make it the lowest cost of operation. That means we're going to use the least amount of energy uh, to give the plants what they need to get their optimal results and growth. So that's very important to start tying these things together. So it does a couple of things. Saves energy, it saves waste uh, products and re, you know, runoff and stuff like that with your, if you're feeding uh, more properly, then you're gonna, you're gonna change your, your waste uh, composition going out into the drains, stuff like that, or you have to have a recapture. But you can get a closer uh, uh, profile and we call a master recipe that you can dial in and uh, and basically use the least amount of resources to get the most amount of product. Amazing. You know, it's it's so so. I'm so glad that you framed it that that you both framed it that way. With energy as being one key dimension, and uh, essentially water as a core constituent in your in your recipe as a second, um, because I think that really cuts the heart of sustainability as we're viewing this issue emerging in cannabis. On the one hand, you have um, particularly these jurisdictions in the northeast of the country, which have very um, old grid systems. You know, their 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 um, systems aren't designed for the sort of energy loads that cannabis is going to take on. Places like uh, Colorado, which um, were still under capacity in terms of their utilization, were able to absorb their 
um, the, the advent of, of kind of indoor cannabis cultivation uh, because the systems were stable enough to do that. But in a lot of these better established uh, Pacific state uh, or Western, sorry, East Coast markets, um, the, the grid's ability to take this, this new loads on are, is going to be an issue. So there's, there's not just the benefit to the organization, to the, to the cultivation facility in terms of lowering your cost by being efficient, uh, but there's additional benefit because this is going to be a real issue um, as, as uh, the legal market starts to build capacity. And on the water side, um, we were just looking at some analysis on, on the, uh, the drought that is currently affecting the Western states. And of the seven core adult use markets uh, in the West, uh, Arizona, uh, Nevada, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, uh, uh, California, 80, nearly 85% of them are, uh, of that territory is under, you know, either extreme or exceptional drought conditions. So water is going to be an absolutely critical kind of point of contention uh, for the entire agricultural economy in those states. And it's going to have you know, real implications for, uh, for cannabis producers. And so the, the efficiency issue with water use, particularly in, in markets that are experiencing extreme drought conditions, and these are the largest cannabis producing uh, markets in the country, um, is going to mean that the, the operators that are able to really dial in their water use, get that perfect, uh, recipe dialed in and, and dramatically lower how much runoff they're using, dramatically lower the water costs, not only have kind of a, 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 the economic advantage of lowering their, their cost, um, but it, it, it becomes a, a true sustainability issue, a true viability issue in a market where um, access to water, I think, could potentially become very, very challenging over the next five to 10 years if these levels of drought are sustained. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, that's where another, you know, not that cogen is the is the perfect solution and but it's a it's a very viable solution in, in terms of generating because you, you know, you do generate some water, you have heat, you have, you know, not that in some of the drought stricken areas, you, you don't need heat, but um, <clears throat> you have, uh, you know, you can start to really optimize what you're doing. Could you talk a bit about what cogen means for our audience who may not be familiar with the term? Well, we've uh, cogen, uh, you know, combined um, heat and power, um, but it's a uh, it's a uh, co cogeneration where you're you're um, you know you're basically taking a big engine or taking an engine, um, taking gas um, or, or buying gas and generating um, the energy that you need uh, on your at your own site. So you basically become your own power generator. And through that um, engine or that power plant that you're producing, um, you now can, rather than buying energy off the grid, you're, buy, you're, buying, you're buying energy, you're buying gas, but you're generating the energy yourself locally. And by doing that, you can also start to take advantage of, of the byproducts of that, of that generation. So you can start to look at if you need uh, heat, um, you can you can reclaim the heat for you know in some of your uh, your boiler systems you have water runoff so you have you can start to gain a lot of efficiencies in your systems by being able to um, utilize and maximize your resources that are available to you and that you're using to generate your energy um, so you have you have all the other byproduct uh, aspects of that you also have much more efficient distribution of that power. Uh, within your plant, um, for example, um, uh, you know, in terms of uh, being able to supply energy to your system, you don't, you're not going through, a, you know, through the whole grid. 
you can uh, generate uh, additional energy if you can put it into storage um, so that you can also then um, you know, consume that battery storage and a demand response. Some facilities that we've seen don't have cogeneration to generate all of their power, but they generate enough power to supplement what they're purchasing and then also store enough energy so that when they have demand response or there's peak demand and that it becomes very expensive to pull it off the grid, they can actually take it out of battery storage and then they can, so that they're not affecting the grid or the demand that's out there and don't risk uh, having, um, you know, rolling blackouts or other, other aspects happen. Um, and that's another key factor or advantage of um, not to, you know, to really bring in our system, but actually our, our, our lighting and our approach to solution is based on really the sustainable approach. And now we have centralized power servers and we can actually take power in directly from 483 phase or high voltage DC or battery storage or solar. So we can actually integrate in and be um, tie into some of these systems. So it's, um, but CHP is, is um, you know, just that combined heat power and uh, allows you to really become much more sustainable. You can also generate your own CO2, but there's still question out there whether or not you can clean that CO2 enough coming off the engine to really use it. That's so interesting. Well, given the number of new states across the country that are activating new legal markets, what advice would you offer to a new commercial grower in these legal markets? Have a plan. <laughs> you've got to <laughs> have a, you've got to have a plan. We what we have seen uh, time and time again is that uh, people are are really not looking at the uh, three or four or five years it takes to get into uh, cultivation and. Um, in addition to the uh, the regulations uh, and the approvals and the and the presentations they have to give, building the business plan. A lot of times they'll build a plan, but they're not really looking at it in terms of uh, what is going to be my uh, total cost of operation. What is it going to cost me to produce a gram or, or a pound of product? And uh, that's the thing that catches them because they look at the prices of um, cannabis today in a certain opening market or something, and it could be very attractive, but we all know that uh, as soon as supply catches up with demand, then the cost of the product starts you know, coming down and leveling off, and now all of a sudden, the cost of manufacturing that product ends up being the, uh, the big difference, difference between a successful company and a company that won't succeed, won't compete. So uh, it's, it's always starting with a plan first, and uh, we spend a lot of time, even though we are in the uh, selling a lot of the cultivation materials and stuff like that, uh, we spend a lot of time with customers talking to them about their business goals, their business uh, expectations, and then the reality of that in terms of are they going to be able to pull that off with the way they're doing it. One of the things that we found is that people will try to look at first cost when they when they invest in things, so they they invest whether it be HVAC, humidification, lighting, uh, irrigation, fertigation systems, they'll try to get those down into the lowest cost all by themselves. And I I opened up with the fact that this is an integrated system. All of these uh, areas need to go together to to really give you a uh, a unitized uh, capability of not monitoring and controlling. And adapting that controlled environment to your product. And the other part of that is your product is what? It's different strains 
of uh, cannabis. The different strains will grow under different conditions. So if you've got a large room with one HVAC control system, which they all do, and you've got one lighting system, and you've got one irrigation system, then you're, you're limited in terms of how much can you change any of those variables. And one of the things that we've built into our systems is that we can monitor all those variables and we can we can use our lighting as a platform to adjust for the for the different variables for the different strains in the different locations in the control room in the in the grow room itself. So planning, planning and planning is is really the key uh, that people have to start and finish with. And prepare for the unexpected. And it's gonna, you know, take much longer than you think. But the other thing to plan and think and yet really unexpected is really changing regulations and um, and and some of those things that are happening and really be put in place a system and the capability to adapt, um, you know, be flexible because regulation is going to change. Um, power requirements are going to change. Um, I mean, Massachusetts is a great example or California coming online, but, you know, Massachusetts, uh, you have to replace all your HPS or have limited watts per square footage. And you can imagine that that's going to change again. So being flexible, being capable, and really being able to um, be uh, adapt to these uh, changes is important. John, anything to add as far as the regulatory changes that might be coming down the pike? That seems to be something that would be pretty huge in this, in this industry. One of the things we're curious about is what role that some of the effects of climate change that we're starting to see will play in, in um, the way resource management uh, gets regulated, resource use gets regulated um, uh, in the future. Um, you know, we, we are already expecting there to be uh, very high costs for water uh, in the Western states if the drought continues as it is. Um, and you know whether it's you know the fear of rolling blackouts like you know the places like New York have had um, uh, over the past couple of years at the peak of summer, you know how one does do regula uh, regulators end up en en enacting policies that constrain how much uh, water or energy uh, or other inputs uh, uh, cannabis cultivators might use, but also too you know to, to to Gary's point, how much kind of agility can you build into your system to make sure that um, if these changes come down the, the, the pike, you're not having to tear down your entire growth, that you've got enough modularity in there um, that that it allows you to be flexible and agile. Um, you know, I, it, the, the two points around, you know, being aware of how the regulatory landscape is changing, and then two, uh, planning for where the market is going, not where it currently is, I think are absolutely critical. Um, you know, to, to the point about how attractive prices look when, when the market first launches, in a market like Colorado, you know, we've seen uh, the wholesale price per pound, the average market rate, it's down about 45% from where the market market launched. And at its lowest, it was down about 60%. So if you if you started uh, in Colorado thinking that, you know, $3,000 a pound was going to be what you were going to be getting for uh, the next 10 years, then by year two, you were already in trouble. Um, and yes, it's plateaued out once the less efficient operators have been flushed out of the market. Uh, but it's critical to, to, to anticipate that the trends that have been seen in the established markets are going to be re replayed uh, in these new markets as they activate. And so there's some really rich lessons to be learned uh, from, from the markets that are six, seven, eight years old now um, that have been through the crucible and, and a lot of agility, uh, a lot of lessons on agility to be learned um, from those who are still standing. 
Well, in the, in the theme of having a plan, um, looking ahead, how do you, um, how is innovation changing the way cannabis is, is grown? Like what role is technology playing in increasing speed or improving quality and reducing risk in the cultivation environment? That's what we, that's what we stand up. Uh, we've really embraced technology uh, as part of our architecture. And I think one of the, the biggest things we brought to the table is that we've, we've taken the, uh, the balance of the power supply off the picture. Uh, fixture head itself, and we've taken out of the grow room altogether and put it in a centralized area outside of the grow area. And what that does is that it immediately makes a, a positive impact on the environment in the in the grow room itself, because we removed a fair amount of heat out of the room. We can then have a smaller HVAC system. We can have a less operating cost for that HVAC system to maintain the maintain and control the the balance of uh, you know, thermals in the room itself, all right? In addition, one, moving that out, we also take the ballast out of there. You look at a ballast can weigh between 10 and 20 pounds. People don't think about this, but if you've got a room with 100 or 500 or 1,000 fixtures uh, times, you know, times 10 or 20, there's a lot of weight that's going into the structure. It'll be the hangout off the ceiling or hangout off racks, all right? So all of that weight has been taken out of the room and, and, and put into call it, call it relay racks and stuff like that that are built for that. The other part of that is that where we, we drive our, our fixtures now from this remote power system, uh, then we can also regulate the intensity. So we don't need two wire dimming circuits. And you look at all of the other lighting that's out there on the market right now, every one of them if they're going to regulate the, you know, the intensity, it's going to be with a two-wire dimming system. We eliminate that altogether. So this is part of the technology we're talking about. And so we can regulate that intensity through our power uh, from our remote power servers to the light heads themselves. And then you know, if we looked at uh, you know, all of these attributes, it's, it's just more you know, capability that's built in there. And one further thing. So this ends up being like a lighting, we call lighting as a platform. We don't look at lighting as individual lights that people turn on and off. We look at it as a network, and that network is throughout the grow, the grow rooms and facilities, obviously. So we use that to also harness information, and we'll bring in we'll bring in information through the lighting and through the lighting system to do exactly what we started talking about initially was to have a holistic view of all of the variables in the control room so that we can manage those variables with the lowest cost of operation. And we'll continue to push down on the, on the energy consumption, we'll, we'll push down on the water usage, we'll push down on the nutrient to get the best product yield that you want for the different strains you have. Technology really is, you know, is, is important because cannabis is a manual and an intensive operation. And to really be sustainable, you really need to have, um, you know, GMP standards, and you know, and and they'll come into into play in the in the medicinal and recreational cannabis. And information um, is critical to help measure, monitor, analyze, you know, forecast. You have to be able to predict and know what you're doing and where you're going. And and so technology is really critical um, in that information to help generate and 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 establish. Uh, sustainable cultivation for for a lot of you know to be successful um, and and really for 
for any any viable operation, um, having full GMP standards and best manufacturing and you know technology and being able to repeat from cycle to cycle and take that data and start to have predictive analysis on what your crop is doing and whether it's a healthy crop and know when to you know when to pull out or or replace or move on or you know or or change a strain or or change out or change out or grow or and really see what's what's happening in real time and then have enough data so you can start to predict that and have uh, repeatable results um, and that's you know that's for the industry it's just important and, and information can help help uh, help them do that. Right. John, anything to add? Well, just, and, and this is not intended to be self-serving, but as a data junkie, one of the things that has been really exciting about the innovation that's being deeply integrated in the cultivation environment is the feedback loop it enables. So the idea that, you know, 20 years ago, the, the master, the best growers in the market just were, had an encyclopedic knowledge in their brains, but you know, trying to get it out of them was, was not impossible. And now the idea that individual plants can give you feedback um, to, you know, the nutrient mix that they're receiving, to the amount of light that they, they're receiving, um, that allows you to, to adjust not only their, their um, inputs in real time, but also apply those lessons on a macro scale to, to ensure repeatability of results. Um, you know, one of the just underlying and, and foundational outcomes of that is the quality of cannabis improves because the ability to ensure consistent replicable re results um, uh, um, becomes possible when you're using technology that, that um, has a lot of automation in it and that has feedback loops that allow you to test uh, results and, and, and optimize outcomes. So, you know, the, the, if we, we are, I think, transitioning out of a season where um, you know, you could, uh, the same grower growing Blue Dream would have five different, you know, over five years would have five very different types of plants to, to, to a period where even for flower, um, the, the ability to, to achieve, you know, nigh on kind of Coca-Cola level of consistency, um, we're, we're not there yet, but we're getting there. And I think that's, that's going to only improve the consumer's experience, uh, but also enable um, some really novel innovations when we start thinking about um, uh, marketing, branding, uh, and product innovation in this in this industry, and it's really going to help with uh, you know sustainability as well. I mean, there's studies going on, and really a lot of things go in terms of visualization of the plants and being able to read you know in real time what the what the plant is doing. Whether it's you know just like humans, it takes a nap. It doesn't necessarily doesn't just because you're giving it nutrients. It's not. You know, it may be full, it's not taking it all at that time, but if you can start to tie that and see that you may not need the lights on, you know, from, you know, nine and nine fifteen because, you know, plants taking a dose. So, but all of these things you can start to see in real time and, and affect not only the plant health, but what it's doing. And you can, if you can tie that into your real time data, you can now start to save in, in the nutrients, you can start to save an energy and really grow in a healthy way. You know, it, the plants are healthier. They they're going to respond better. They're going to uh, yield better, and um, long term, you're going to have a you know a much healthier crop. And uh, and when you're taking clones and cuttings and moms, you know all of these, you want healthy moms, and so you want healthy plants. And and data and technology is helping, I think, to to create a better grow. It, just on that line of consistency and 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 being able to become more sustainable. I recently had a conversation with. 
uh, an agronomist uh, out of Purdue, um, who's been working on this idea of, of how to rethink the way water plants are watered, uh, cannabis plants are, are, are watered. And the difference between uh, hand irrigation, which is where a lot of this industry started, you know, you basically have a guy walking around with a pipe that's, that's filling the pots uh, in, the, in the facility to uh, micro pulses of water that are, you know, at the plant root and, um, you know, so rather than a consistent water, a, a consistent uh, watering system, you're applying micro pulses of, of water to the soil. Um, there's a system measuring the moisture density in the soil. Um, and they found that they could reduce their water use by nearly 90% uh, by using that approach relative to, to somebody who was walking around with a hose in hand. Um, it's still early days in sort of that level of calibration, uh, but I think an, an extraordinary indication of how much opportunity there remains for uh, integration of technology into the growth space to really draw down or reduce our resource use while still growing, to uh, Mikhail's point, really healthy, vibrant plants. Yeah, it's, I feel like this consistency across the entire industry is just showing how we're maturing as an industry, whether it's the you know, consumer having an expectation of a certain product or the growers being able to have the consistency of the product that they're growing. Um, well, we are almost out of time and I could talk to you guys forever because you are a wealth of information. But before we go, I'd love to go around the horn and kind of get your predictions, expectations for the rest of, or for the future, I guess, for the rest of 2021. Well, I'd say that, um, you know, there's, uh, it's, it's a lot of momentum. Um, big things are happening. Um, the industry really, you could say it was in it, um, it's, it was in its infancy several years ago or many years ago, but really truly uh, advanced, uh, you know, indoor agriculture and where this is going is still in its infancy. And, um, and there is a lot of momentum. And just like with any industries and, and any technology gains, I think um, there's a lot of opportunity to bring technology and capability and agriculture know-how and just technology from other markets into the space. A lot of, you know, just like any industry, when people start, you know, everybody, there's a lot of reinventing the wheel, starting from over, starting from scratch, doing things your own way. But there are a lot of technologies and capabilities that have gone into other industries, whether it's, you know, technologies and phones and cars and automate, you know, and automotive or, or other that the underlying um, capacities and information and systems that are used just in production and information and from the medical space that can be brought in will really make big changes over the next uh, you know, five, 10, even two, two to three years. Um, so there's gonna be a lot of exciting advancements and uh, exciting progress and a lot of growth. I think we're already making some of those changes, Mikhail. Come on, don't hold back. <laughs> but you know, one, one of the things that actually brought up is that people coming into this industry are coming from different industry backgrounds. And, and they're mm -hmm. coming from pharmaceutical, they're coming from automotive, electronics companies. Guess what? They have a lot of, a lot of technology background. They know how to use technology to their advantage to make, as we say, a consistent quality product. Because ultimately, what we're what we're faced with in this industry is not just having one crop after another with all these variables around it. It's really having the same crop and the same result. And in order to do that, you've got to do a lot of things the same to make that happen. And that's going to be tightly monitored, tightly controlled. And I think the the industry 
because of the outside pressures coming in, will make that happen. And we know that with all the regulations that are going on across the country, sooner or later, probably within, I'm going to say a couple of years, you're going to find deregulation of cannabis that's going to open up a whole new onslaught of um, manufacturing efficiency and cost models that will only be driven by by uh, automation. So it'll be it'll be sensor based uh, technology with uh, intuitive algorithms to give you the competitive advantage, as we call it. And that's something, by the way, that we're not just thinking about. We're working on that now. We have installations on a lot of beta sites that are going in to prove a lot of that uh, philosophy and, and some of the things that we have to learn. Because quite frankly, this is a business that everyone learns like every day. We've got hundreds and thousands of customers. No one's the same. They're all different. But we take all of those measurements, if you will, data points together, put them into the intelligent uh, spot so that we can make adaptive uh, decisions on the different variables we see, then we're going to come up with that quality product and meet those GMP standards that Mikhail was mentioning. And again, you're going to see the pharmaceutical industry coming into this industry. What do they run by? They run by GMP. So those that are going to succeed and grow have to get on board with that kind of strategy. I echo everything that, that Gary and Mikhail have, have said. And uh, maybe my my takeaway and thinking around this is this idea of um, we're entering a season or an era of sustainability as a business imperative in cannabis. Um, I think the the operators who've been in this market for the past 20 years, um, there's a few who've had the luxury of considering sustainability as as an opportunity to perhaps differentiate themselves in a market. Uh, But right now, if you're in one of the Western states and you can reduce your water or your energy, um, your cooling costs by 20% by using technology to create, say, automated monitoring systems uh, to to water your, your, your plants more efficiently, um, that's not just kind of critical to, to your bottom line, but um, in an environment where there's just less water to go around, uh, less usable electricity to go around, or much you know much more higher cost electricity to go around, um, these these questions around sustainability are no longer no longer a luxury uh, for those who have the time to pay attention to them. I think they're uh, increasingly deeply tied to to uh, business performance. Um, and the sooner that particularly new operators are able to integrate these principles deeply into their operations, uh, I think the better positioned they'll be uh, to compete in an increasingly um, changing climatic environment, uh, but an increasingly competitive one as well. Amazing. Well, thank you all so much for your time. And thank you to our listeners for joining us at Canna Week. Please be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. And if you really like us, give us five stars. Um, And keep a lookout for our um, next big report being released next month. It's the Global Report, and we have the honor of having TSR Grow be one of our sponsors. I'm your host, Heather Wickline, and we will see you next time. New Frontier Data provides this podcast for entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated in this podcast should be taken as legal or financial advice. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or a recommendation by the company. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by New Frontier Data employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of the company or any of its officials. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact our legal department.